Welcome to Anything Goes, the best geek and pop culture podcast broadcasting from Long Island, New York. I'm your host, Timothy Rudy, and welcome to October Horror of Shop of Horrors or something like that. I've tried to think of a title that I'm butchering it. This is the second podcast in a row that I'm butchering a title. Octo- Horror Month of October. There we go. That's, that's going to be the title. Don't, don't give me a fucking sanctimonious golf clap judging me right now, you giggling bastard. As you can read from the title, we're doing a review of The Exorcist, and as you can tell, there's so many heavy breathing in the microphone that I'm not by myself, and I'm not ranting to the four walls around me, unlike most people believe. <laughs> Shut up, I, I didn't hear that. My, I am Timothy Rooney, and who is with me today? Mr. Larry Bergen, and there is nobody else in the room with me. Uh, that heavy breathing, I don't know, you know, I think it's, I, you know, I'm a little creeped out just watching from The Exorcist, so I think uh, I think it's just the two of us in the room right now. Yeah, yeah, yeah hope, hopefully it's just us two. <laughs> but before we go ahead, before we go any further, we got to have the theme song, so let's jump into that right now. And then after that theme song, we got the review of The Exorcist. <laughs> mind giving us a brief synopsis of the movie The Exorcist? Well, The Exorcist takes place in Georgetown, of all places. Gordon Street! <laughs> about a little girl named Reagan, who is 12 years old, gets possessed by a demon. About and- a week ago! <laughs> Sorry. Don't know where this is all coming from. This is like we we interrupt this Exorcist podcast to bring you the Creed podcast from the last time I was on the show because I'm pretty sure we ended up opening with the same shtick. We need really need new material. <laughs> what do you mean we we peaked at college? That's the, that's the level of our humor. That's where we're. It's all downhill from here. It's sad to say, but we're just making the same jokes over and over again. And it get, it just gets funnier every time, doesn't it? I wonder I mean, why everybody's moving away from us because they don't want to deal with us anymore they're lame jokes yeah pretty much i mean we got people you know uh, moving away without even telling us but you know <laughs> yeah one of them like so so much so that i still have his camera and tripod and he has not questioned uh what i'm gonna give it back to him <laughs> anyway continue um okay it's about about a girl in georgetown who this gets... is a story about billy joe and bob sue <laughs> there's the door right there i'm kicking you out of your own house <laughs> thanks dad <laughs> And and the whole movie is about priests and the Catholic Church conducting an exorcist, which is which I'm pretty sure most of you already know. The common practice of the exorcist is trying to release spiritual demons, etc., of takeover from take you know taking over certain bodies. But it is a practice that hasn't been brought up in hundreds of years so and and they tried everything that they possibly could uh the family of this girl they tried taking her to 
doctors, psychiatrists, hypnotists, everybody under the sun, and their last shred of hope for getting rid of the demon is through the exorcism of experienced priests. And and it's a very it was very controversial at the time this movie coming out whereas nothing like this has ever been seen before on the cinematic uh screenplays so to speak you know uh this was this movie was released in 1973 mm-hmm. where a lot of the images and the visuals that you see in the movie were Pretty new to the uh, to the audience, mm-hmm. uh, the you know horror fans, such as you and myself, you know, and that's the thing that you know nowadays when you when you watch a movie like this, you know, you got to go into it like basically with a blank slate, you know, because for what it came out, it was you know it was a masterpiece, you know, but today's standards and it's very unfortunate. It's looked at as a silly. Yeah, it's it's kind of tame. You know, that's one thing I want to bring up later when it comes to exorcisms and other movies going on like that since come out from this movie. And as all this starts from actually a a real case of an exorcism being conducted in 1949. And actually, all this came from because William Peter Blatty, who uh, wrote the book, who also wrote the screenplay and produced the, the movie was a in Georgetown at the Jesuit school and while he was there this article came out about or the subject of this article came about of an exorcism that happened and I actually found the original article um from 1949 uh and the t- uh, the headline is priest frees a mountain ranger boy reported hand in devil's grip in what is perhaps one of the most remarkable experiences of its kind in recent religious history, a 14-year-old mountain rainer boy has been freed by a Catholic priest of possession by the devil, Catholic sources reported yesterday. Only after between 20 and 30 performances of the ancient ritual of exorcism here in St. Louis was the devil finally cast out of the boy, it was said. And all except the last of these, the boy broke into a violent tantrum of screaming, cursing, and voicing of Latin phrases, a language he had had never studied uh, whenever the priest reacted to the climactic point of the ritual. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost, I cast thee out. In complete devotion to his task, the priest stayed uh, with the boy over a period of two months, during which he uh, personally witnessed such manifestations as the bed in which the boy was sleeping on suddenly moved across the room. The, the, a Washington Protestant minister had previously report, uh, reported personally witnessing similar manifestations, including one in which a pallet of which the boy was sleeping on uh, slid uh, slowly across the floor until the boy's head bumped against the bed, awakening him. In another instance, reportedly by the Protestant minister, a heavy armchair in which the boy was sitting uh, with his knees drawn under his chin tilted slowly from one side and fell over, throwing the boy onto the floor. The final rite of exorcism in which the devil was cast from the boy took place in May, it was reported. A priest here voiced the belief as it is probably the first casting out of the devil of the ritual in the last century of Catholic activities here and perhaps the entire history of the church in this area. The boy was taken to Georgetown University Hospital where the affliction was exhaustingly studied at St. Louis University. Both, Je- both are Jesuit institutions. Finally, both the Catholic hospitals said the priest reportedly they were unable to cure the boy through natural means. Only then, a priest uh, said a priest here was a supernatural cure of salt. 
The ritual was undertaken by a St. Louis priest, a Jesuit, who in his late 50s devoted himself to the task through prayer and fasting. The ritual began in St. Louis, continued here, and finally ended back in St. Louis. For two months, the priest stayed with the boy and coming in back and forth on the train, sleeping in the same houses and sometimes in the same room as him. Even though the ritual of exorcism the boy was no means cruel, uh, cured readily, report, repeatedly, each time the ritual was performed, the, the final violent reaction would come from the boy, in which the words are saying, I cast thee out, a reaction of profanity and screaming astounding in the Latin phrases the priest uh, reportedly heard. In one manifestation, the boy reportedly had, uh, reportedly that he had seen the vision of St. Michael casting out the devil. Finally, the last performance of the ritual, the boy was quiet. Since then, reported all manifestations had ceased. And that was the article that kicked off William Peter Blatty's fascination with this story and wanted to create a book about exorcism. Now, he wanted to do about the history of exorcism and the original concept for the book is that it would open up the exorcism has already been uh, already happened, and a court case has been brought up against the uh, the situation that happened. And exorcism in history is brought up in evidence as, and then we would flash back to when the exorcism had happened. Now that's obviously changed because the the archdiocese and as well as the respect to the family they wanted to distance themselves far from this case when it came to this book. So Blatty threw that idea out, which funny enough was kind of like the basis of the movie Exorcism of Emily Rose, where that was a court case that happened that an exorcism was performed and wondered if the person that received the exorcism was either just crazy or if supernatural forces were involved. I just find that kind of interesting. And I've been... Before we go any further, I have to ask you, Larry, when was the first time you heard about the movie The Exorcist? I actually heard about The Exorcist um, right around... Right around, actually, when the exorcism of Emily Rose first came out, and now I, you know, I, I, I got to admit, and you know, all you who are listening are probably going to be blown back away in your chairs right now by this, but Way I actually back. never Way seen, back. <laughs> <laughs> I never actually seen The Exorcist, this original uh, piece that we're talking about, until recently, probably about uh, three months ago, and I watched it with you, Tim. Yes. And, you know, you were part of a first experience for me, you know, among... <laughs> <laughs> Any hooser. Um, but no, uh, yeah, I, I heard about The Exorcist, the movie itself, when The Exorcism of Emily Rose first came out. And, you know, I was, and I didn't see the exorcism of Emily Rose and I'm kind of patting myself on the back that I didn't cause I heard it was, you know, not so good. There but, are moments of brilliance in that movie, but like, it, it's a mixed bag, I have to say. And I remember thinking to my, you know, I remember when, you know, I was a kid when they first saw these, you know, this trailer, I thought it was like very, you know, spooky. I think it what was it? Oh, four when that movie came out. I believe so. I, I was I was 12 years old at the time, and I was like, "Oh, this is you know spooky." And then I remember someone telling me, "It's like, oh, you, but you need to see the original Exorcist." And I'm like, "2005." So like 2005. So yeah. like the trailers probably came out during 04, But go on. Yeah, 12, 12, 13 years old, and I remember someone telling me, "It's like, oh, you need to see the original Exorcist." You want to talk about creepy? There's your you know there's your uh, movie you want to see, and I was like, "Wow, the original Exorcist," you know, and like. Um, you know, I never, I, I didn't really grow up much watching horror flicks a lot. I mean, I've watched the, you know, the classic ones, you know, like, you know, the, 
the Freddies and the Jasons and the mm-hmm. Texas Chainsaw Massacres, you know, that, those those ones. But although among the classic horror films I've never seen was The Exorcist. And like I said, people get blown away when I tell them that. Now I can finally say to people, hey, I've I've seen this movie. It took me, you know, it took me long enough to watch this <laughs> thing. But you know what? Hey, you know. Sometimes it's well worth the wait. I definitely, you know, think it was worth it worth the wait. But yeah, I've just been hearing about this movie the whole time, and I was, you know, I was, I was really impressed. I really liked it, you know. Oh, that's good. And I remember, <laughs> um, it's kind of uh, when I first heard about The Exorcist, like it was almost like in a hushed tone, mm-hmm. like because even like I think it was brought up in conversation around my parents and like even my mom just kind of like. You kind of feel like the the mood in the room changed a little bit when The Exorcist was brought up because there was so much controversy around this movie and there's so much hysteria about people's reactions to it. It's kind of like whenever I would go into the video store and I would see the cover for Hellraiser and just like the first like seeing the word hell on the cover and then you see Pinhead with the the, the puzzle box in his hand, then you're like, oh my god, this must be one of the most terrifying movies ever made. And it is a very scary movie, but the what's the word like the reputation around the movie made it bigger than it already was but like it's almost like like this is almost like forbidden fruit that i should not be seeing this and i was like i did not see the exorcist for a very long time it wasn't until a couple years ago that actually i saw the exorcist i think uh i think i rented on i think i rented from the library and like on vhs and i think that's when the director's cut came out the one that we watched tonight i think that's when it came out on home video I don't know how my mom allowed me to rent that. And I mean, granted, she let me to see like Terminator when I was like five or six. So that's like then my mom had like uh, bad parenting skills or anything like that. I mean, I'm fine. Look at me today. <laughs> well, I mean, I, I can I can abide to you know your definition of fine. You know, but you know that's that's a very subjective term. But no, but um, no the the good the good thing about this about how much of a classic it is and it's controversial in I think in a very good way. You know, because you know what they say. You know, uh, there's no such thing as bad publicity. You know, this movie has ge- obviously general generally gotten a lot of it since the release, even to this day. Especially now with Halloween being around the corner, and even though I didn't see it up until recently, I always look at The Exorcist and classic movies like this, like you know, like like movies like movies like Star like movies like Star Wars. Stay with me on this. Movies like Star Wars and you know, Wizard of Oz, Back to the Future. There has been so many. Uh, pop culture references and so many like uh, shows and other movies that like ripped from ideas you know from the movie or you know mention it a little bit where mm-hmm. like I've seen enough to actually I feel like I've seen the movie itself right. but even when I actually gave it a chance and sat down and watched the movie after you know constantly seeing these over and over and over again it's like oh that 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 they're making fun of the exorcist right there like oh that that that's ripped off from the exorcist I've seen you know I've seen this before it's you know it it still amazed me that like I was like wow you know like I felt like I've seen it before but I'm actually seeing it for the very first time and I was still amazed. <laughs> it, it's kind of like if you go back and watch the Universal Dracula or Frankenstein movies because there's been so many like you said so many parodies of it or you watch like 50 science fiction movies mm-hmm. there's been so many parodies and so many ripoffs that it's like oh I've seen this before but this is happening for the first time and with other movies that deal with exorcisms later like since the release of this it's kind of like and how the bar has been kind of raised by that like you you watch this and you're just like 
oh, this is kind of quaint in, in, in relative terms because, like, oh, this is groundbreaking at the time, but but now, like you said, it seems a little like, oh, I know what they're doing. Or it's kind of like you watch Jaws and how many times has Jaws been referenced in, like, cartoons and movies and everything. And, like, hell, even, like, like Jimmy Neutron, like, did, like, a whole episode <laughs> pretty much, like, a ripoff. Or, like, Simpsons has ripped off Jaws so many times. Well, what hasn't the Simpsons ripped off? Well, yeah, yeah but like, <laughs> and, 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 and the Simpsons is still funny. Like, I still say, like, even, like, in current seasons, there are gems of great humor amongst the Simpsons. It's not as... It's not, like, oh, no, one on top not. of each other, like, the first, like, seven seasons or anything like that. Mm-hmm. But there are still moments in current day uh, Simpsons that I still like. But... Let's jump into the characters of the Exorcist. Let's talk about uh, Chris McNeil, played by Ellen Burst, Reagan's mother. Now, how do you feel about her performance in this as the mother of Reagan, as well as a working as a uh, part of a film crew shooting in Georgetown at the time? I think the performance of uh, Reagan's mother was very, uh, very good to say, to say the le- least. Of uh, you know, this is a mother, a single mother. Well, that we know of, because as I mentioned to you as we were watching the movie, um, you only get like a few glimpses and ideas about the background of Reagan's father, who's mm-hmm. not in the picture at all. He's not in the movie. You never see him, and he, you know, he, he's either away on, you know, he's away or he just, you know, up and left. They don't really go into full detail of what's going on. Uh, what happened of and you know and, and that, that, that's okay they don't really that it, it's kind of unnecessary with a movie scheme like this um to really go into 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 a discussion like that but her perform her performance from the beginning you would never know she you would never know that she was struggling in the beginning, you know, because because in the beginning of the movie, it looked like everything was great. Mm-hmm. You know, everything was great between the family. They look like they're very well set off. You know, she's not, you know, she's not struggling to, you they're know, definitely not slumming it. No, definitely not slumming it. You know, it doesn't it doesn't look like she's overworking herself, you know, to make her, you know, child happy. It's just her. It's just her and Reagan and a few help around the house. But it's just mainly them, two, And yeah. you see that a lot in the beginning of the movie. Then when the you know then when the time and the going gets tough, now she is pushed back against the wall, and it's really only her that's really sitting there and trying to do what's best for Reagan. And even though she's not happy with it, you know, because she doesn't believe what the doctors are saying, you know, there's obviously something wrong with her because if you see in the you know you see in the movie. It's not a. It's not like a slowly progressing thing that Reagan's behavior is changing from you know happy, um, happy preteen to you know monster in a night. Yeah. You know she's refusing to believe any doctor that's and that's really like you really think about that. You know that's like you know as a mother you never wanna you never wanna say you know there's something wrong with my child. Mm-hmm. You know like like there you know there was something wrong but what they were saying to her was wrong was a lot was a load of bullshit and as it was you saw like throughout the movie you know the scene where both you and i are cringing to them sticking the needle in their neck the the arteriogram which i think is the most uncomfortable moment in this movie Uh, we we will get to that actually in a second but you know but no like and then her just seeing her like her her reacting to certain you know it's like it's like nothing you you know obviously you never want to 
have your child experience this. But like just seeing that she showed, you know, the her looking away when they're, you know, they're doing the brain scans on her and her nervously pacing back and forth around the house as the exorcism was going on. Like she felt helpless, you know, but she, but she was getting all the help in the world, but she still felt, you know, helpless. What you know, whether or not she can say, you know, she can save her daughter. I think she, and and it wasn't, you know, it wasn't. It was all about, you know, it was all about Reagan, you know, trying to hurt, you know, trying to get her better. And it, you know, I think that I think she pulled that off very well. And is because you think of it like, all right, she's a famous actress. She's obviously done well for herself, and her husband's like no longer in the picture. So she has to balance the fact of being a single mother, and still maintain this job of her being an actress and raise her child and like keep everything on even keel. And she's doing a really good job at that. She seems like she's got a firm grasp on it. And then she, like, as you said, she's thrown into a situation where she has no control and she has to rely on the expertise of doctors and psychiatrists and eventually the church. And it's just like, it's like a really tough thing for her to deal with because like, a like she really says that she's agnostic. She does not believe like, she's like, not she's not a uh, religious person and that she seems very matter-of-factly that's why she's like all right she takes it to her doctor and like all right the doctors will be able to handle this if not then she's like all right we're gonna have to get a psychiatrist and then once the doctors that fairly are at a loss of what they want to do and they recommend the exorcism like her reaction would be any rational person's reaction you want me to get a witch doctor because exorcism is such an archaic ritual in the catholic church that it's like 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 uh, like we could drop an anvil on her and see what happens <laughs> like it's like it's almost that absurd to her and that when that moment where the exorcism is going on and damien's been sent out of the room and he's downstairs and he's just kind of like contemplating like i shouldn't let my emotions get away and then um mrs mcneil comes and says like is my is my daughter gonna die because she has no idea what she's going on, and she's at her wit's end. And you really feel for her because she is the way in for everybody in this in this movie. I mean, like, sure, we got this, we get to see uh, Father Harrison and Father Lancaster, and like, but they are the priests; they are the guardians of light in this. And so there's a separation there. But like, Ellen Burstyn's character, she's the she's our eyes in. You seem like you want to say something, Phil. No, it's just it's. It, it, it's amazing that, like, you know, it, like I said, she was panicking mostly throughout the movie. It, like, you you saw you saw little glimpses, you know, that, that, that scene where she's sitting at the table with all, you know, those 16 doctors and, like, against her. It's, like, 16 versus her and saying, like, oh, we're going to put your daughter away. You know, you see those, like, little instances where she, like, just loses it. You're like, you're like none of your, you know, none of this bullshit, you know. Yeah. Like, you're not, you're not locking my daughter up. You're not sending her away, you know, because – because other than you know, other than Reagan's father, up up and leaving them, between that and this, she really didn't. Like I said, she really didn't have any like um, any tough times dealing with with Reagan as a single mother. Like through the neg- you know, the neg- you know, the negative downtimes. You know, like it's not like you know, leading up to it, leading up to this, she was you know coming home from school and getting bullied and stuff like that. And, and, you know, don't get me wrong, you know, bully, bullying is, you know, it's horrible, Yeah. but you know, it, it's it, like, she, she never, she never dealt with any thing, any negativity in Reagan's life other than her father leaving up until now. So yeah. it's basically, they go from very happy, you know, 
very happy, very loving, you know, hey, what are you going to do for your birthday and stuff like that? All of a sudden, completely 180 turn, and it's like, all right, well, now this. this yeah, this, the, probably the worst situation the, that could happen. Possibly, yeah, you know, and... It's ridiculous. Now, we, we keep saying Reagan, Reagan over and over, so I think we should talk about her. Re- uh, uh, Reagan McNeil, played by Linda Blair. Your feelings on her acting in this movie? I mean, for you know, for her being an innocent little um, preteen, you know, she played the part very well. Re- oh, very, very well. Very well. Well, <laughs> well very well. Um, you didn't... You didn't... You see, you see her in two different ways. Obviously, in this movie, you know, you see her, and then you see Captain Howdy, who yes. is the demon that has taken her over. Yeah, Pazuzu is the but, demon's name, but he Pazuzu, goes, under, yeah. goes under the moniker Good. of Captain Howdy. So yeah, so from from the um, yeah from the from the from her, you know, acting as the happy preteen, you know, like like you just like you get a sense. It's like oh man, like any like. Why her? You know, like, yeah. like she has done nothing wrong, nothing except break out the Ouija board. You know, but <laughs> but that you know, but like aside from that, you know, like like you know, it, it you know, it just like seeing her, you know, seeing her, you know, growing up, you know, all all the good, you know, aside from her father not being in the picture, growing up. You know, you know, living by the rules, doing what her mom, you know, doing what her mom taught her. And then, you know, seeing this happen, you know, it's just like this is this is a little bit in the beginning of when the movie starts getting controversial because you start thinking to yourself, it's like, man, you know, like such a good kid. This happens to, you know, not a bastard child, you know, not someone who's reckless. You know, she's not shoplifting or anything like that. No, this is, you know. This is a little girl who, you know, made the mistake of playing with the Ouija board, but yeah. still, but still, like, you know, her the the way that she acted, very happy. She drew. She liked to draw a lot. She, you know, she was, you know, it just it looked like she was taught right. Yeah, and she, then and it, she she's being punished for something that it seems like she hasn't done exactly and, and she's like you know and, that, and like i said this is this is where the movie like because you know you, you bring in you bring in the religious views to this and it's like it, it's like um you know even you know even this could happen to you know no matter what you know like it's even the good have bad even the good have bad happen to them you know the bad you know nothing happens to them you know the good die young and all that stuff right you know that's that's when you first i think in my opinion first see why you know with religious addicts out there and you know in the filmmakers this is where the topic of you know controversy comes into play mm-hmm. you know but i think so you know she played her role very very well even though we you know and and then even when even when the uh the demon you know you know the time she would you know he would appear we leave her hysterical like like it's like oh what did i do you know i i, I don't remember anything you know it's just right. like you feel you know like you you feel for her you feel you know for the mother it's like you know this is this is something that's happening that they can't control and you know just like the the crying that you see at the end you know it's just you feel like damn you know like poor kid you know and, mm-hmm. 
And it's kind of like like if this, like if she like if she's like a little shit in the beginning of the movie, mm-hmm. and when bad things are going, like every audience member be like, you know what? That's what you deserve for being a snot or anything like that. You deserve to be taken over by a demon. But they don't play it that way. They play it like they have a loving relationship. Now, it's obviously, and I think Linda Blair's performance is fantastic. And it's it's the only like unfortunate thing is because like her career never like her career kind of peaked. Mm-hmm. In this movie, like she was never part of another big movie like this. She was in part of the dreadful Exorcist Two, The Heretic, and my God, I mean, like, what did she play in that movie? She it's like it is a sequel to this, but it's like the movie itself is batshit insane, just like uh, stupid. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Exorcist Three, uh, which is actually a lot better, which I highly recommend. Um, but like, like have her like to be able to play the earlier scenes where she's playing a good kid, like like the the most bad thing she does, she steals a cookie from her mom, and they have like a playful chase around the house and stuff like that when she's supposed to be like on a diet or anything like that. That's the most dreadful thing she does before she gets taken over, other than playing with a Ouija board. And there's one moment that I really appreciate. And I honestly, I really relate to is when. Reagan is in her room at the door and she's listening to her mom on the phone in her room while she has her door open yelling at, so I guess, I presume the girlfriend of her husband. I believe it was the operator. Or, or it was the operator that was refusing to connect her to her husband. Her husband, yeah. And she's just going off on a vulgar tangent and uh, Reagan's kind of sitting there. It's like every parent or every child like who's dealt with parents that have argued has been there standing in your doorway overhearing them screaming at each other and you wonder like did i do something wrong is my fault somehow and you feel really bad for her and and it's when those scenes like it's those moments that make what happens to her later more powerful because you're just like this is an innocent kid who does not deserve this whatsoever the only bad thing she did is play with a ouija board (laughs) and and since other exorcism movies and other demon movies have come out and it was when they break out the ouija board in this you're like oh god why would you do something like that and you brought up a good point earlier when we were watching the movie that Ouija boards are still sold in Toys R Us today, which, I mean, it's really baffling to me. It's like, it's like you're you're asking for it, you know. Like even even when I watched the movie, oh, asking for a trigger. <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> you exploit. <laughs> You see, we're not we're not we're not progressing past our uh, college level inside jokes. But but that hey, that's relative to what we're talking yes, about. Yes, Leo and Satan, check it up on YouTube, everybody. <laughs> I, I don't I don't think you should. But, uh, <laughs> no, but it's like you're asking for it whenever you know. And and we I was even watching it when you know when the first time I watched it, you know. Um, like I said, I, d- I had no idea, you know, the little things. I knew the major, you know, parts of the movie with the head twisting around and, right. you know, your mother sucks cocks in hell and ah, all that. You know, exactly. I know, I know, I knew all about that stuff, but I never knew really why. I mean, I had an idea why the demon took over, you know, Reagan. And when she broke out the Ouija board, I'm sitting there, I'm like, here we go. And then, and then the whole, and then once that happened and I'm sitting there, I'm like, okay, now, now, you know, strap yourselves in lads are going in for a good ride, you know? And it's, you know, you know, the progression of when she first played with the Ouija board all the way to the end of the movie, the progression of how like set settled in the demon was, you know, it, it just, it, I don't understand why like anyone who, who 
plays with a Ouija board, it, it, it's a good idea. I'm gonna tell. I'll tell you a quick story. We'll get a little off topic, but it, 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 I remember I covered when I was in college. I covered I covered a story about a, pla- a place called Fort Ontario, and and if you don't know out there, Fort Ontario is. Um, one of the most haunted places in the United States. I did. A, I should have went with you. A, you you, you would have loved it. Oh, I, I bet I. Oh, it's one, it. one of the most haunted places in America, and you know, if you really, if you really want to, really want to check out my um my news package, I'll 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 give Tim a link to to uh, so you yeah, guys can watch it. Give me a link to your package. Hey, not that one. Hey, I'll send you I'll send you a, a YouTube link so you guys can look at it. But no, one of the reasons you know there's so many reasons why it's haunted. You know the you know the ghost of the of the um, war heroes from the past because it was used as a fort from world from Revolutionary War to World War Two, but. One of the stories I heard and I was just absolutely baffled by was when the the owner of the place was, you know, take, giving me giving me a tour of the place. It took me to the graveyard of the fallen the fallen soldiers of the Navy, Army, and all the you know armed forces from the past. And they told us a story. They told me a story about how someone in the late '80s, early '90s decided to come over to the graveyard with a Ouija board and started just, you know, playing around with, you know, at the gravesite. And I'm like, I, I just, I, I, I had to pause to my, I'm like, is this like, I barely like going to graveyards as it is. There are, you know, there are very few reasons, you know, you know, to go graveyards. I don't even like driving past graveyards at night, but this person, I don't, you know, had the audacity to walk around with a Ouija board at a at a gravesite at a cemetery and decided to uh, hey let's have some fun it's just like i mean what are you thinking you know like i i, I it was just it blew my mind like it's it's and and yet they sell you know they yet they you know people yet decide to go get them and you know when you start you know this is I'm like no 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 I see the Ouija board I'm 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 out the door you know I I want no part of that you know and the second I saw that break out in the exorcism I'm like well here we go <laughs> I think Billy Martin said it best Hey I could drive oh. <laughs> We're talking about bright ideas um, We had a Ouija board My sisters had a Ouija board for a long time and they messed around with it here um, Luckily I don't think anything really came about it but still having one is just really freaky and i love that moment where reagan breaks up the ouija board to show her mother like oh i'm talking to captain howdy mother comes over to touch it and then immediately just the thing moves on its own before she gets right next to it and you're like um that's not a good sign obviously that that um she's not very religious so she doesn't take too seriously by it and she's like thinking reagan's playing a trick on her it's one of the things that should have been a red flag right then and there um and I think one of my favorite moments, I, I mean, and I, I listened to the biography, like if William Freak and the guy who directed this movie also did uh, The French Connection, Sorcerer, Cruising, To Live and Die in L.A., amongst many others. His book, The Freak, Connect, the Freak and Connection, was the biography about his life. I got the audiobook for it. And I, was, I re-listened to the sections about The Exodus today for as research for this podcast. And he was talking about um, just like the weird things that would go on during the shooting of it, like the set burned down at one point, and it, it, like the weird controversies that was going on. And he said, like I ha- I couldn't think about that 
while we're going on because I would never have finished the movie. I just had to get the movie done. It's only in the power of hindsight where things really start to become more apparent to you. Like, that, this is like too many coincidences to be just coincidences. They'd just be really creepy. Same thing you look at Rosemary's Baby had kind of those things. Poltergeist had that, like a curse. The Omen especially has that curse. And it's strange to see how those movies co- go about and have those history. And I think one of the best parts of Reagan's performance, or, I mean, um, Linda Blair's performance, is probably one of the most controversial scenes in the movie is when they go up to her after hearing noise and she has a crucifix in hand It's and she's masturbating with it and she's like, let Jesus fuck you, let Jesus fuck you. And then like grabs her mother and like, forces her down there and says lick me lick me and starts slapping her around and so much so and there's so much controversy around it that um what was it i think it was billy was it billy bram was the evangelist evangelist even evangelical person said that evil lived with presided in the the celluloid of the film itself and the original cover the original poster for that movie was a close-up like a reagan's hand holding the crucifix that's bloody like that was the original cover before the famous one of the silhouette shot with the exorcist outside the house and william freakin's like are you out of your mind you're gonna underline the the, the most messed up scene in the movie i think we should undersell it a little bit I think we should not do that. I and mean, that's why I think we have the post that we have today. Um, so I say for when it comes to Linda Blair's performance, I think it's not many child stars can top that when it comes to a horror movie. And I think we should still respect her and I still respect her. Now, moving on to the other uh, main actress in the movie, we'll talk about the priest. We'll talk with... Uh, Dr. Damien Karras, played by Jason Miller. Your feelings on him and his crisis of faith that he feels during the movie. It was interesting to see his character because throughout the movie, because like you saw a little bit of background story that out of all the, out of all the um, out of all the uh, actors in that movie, this one he has the most background to him. Yeah. You know, like whenever there's nothing going on between Re- you know Reagan and her mother, you see him. You know, going on with his everyday life, you know, whether, you know, he's working out of the gym or he's helping his sick mother and all that. It's interesting to see, you know, I like, I like, you know, you know, seeing back and forth between each story, you know, without, you know, drawing away too, you know, see background stories, um, background stories in, in some cases tend to take away from the actual idea of the movie. Like if you get too much into the other background of whoever you're going to get too far away from the story, Yeah. but no, but what happened to him and his mother passing and him not being there, that worked well into later in the movie when the exorcism was actually being performed, because if you didn't provide that background about him, uh, you know, and he's just talking about his mother. It's like, Oh, okay. His mother died and he wasn't there, you know? And it's like, we'd okay. have no frame of reference. Like, like, okay. That's just a huge plot hole there that, you know, that could have been executed very well. But I think just him like going through life and going, you know, him taking on the task of performing an exorcism, which I stated earlier is something that around this time hasn't been mentioned since like, you know, the you know the dark ages and all mm-hmm. that stuff you know it's it was you know i really i 
he he didn't show a, you know much emotion throughout the film. You know, you 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 you, you could t- you could tell just by looking at him, you know, facial wise. He didn't have to show much physically, or you know, he didn't have to talk much. You know, so you know what he's thinking. Like just his facial reactions alone, whether taking the test, the exorcism, the death of his mother. You know, and you know, talking to the detective about what happened. He showed uh, rather than told. He showed. He showed rather than told, which was really good. You know, for his character. And, you know, it was. I li- I really liked his before. I I had you know I I got to say he was probably maybe my favorite character in the movie. That's you know and you know because there was a lot about him, and what's good about this, like I said, it's it was all about Reagan, but. This guy had most story to him, but he wasn't the main character. No, and that's and that's what they did well in, and that's what he was able to provide for the audience. I I think he did a great job, and I think it's because it's like the demon like attacks him just as much as Reagan. Like, sure, she's the Pazuzu says mean things towards uh, Father Marin, but. Never goes after Marin's like emotions or anything like that. The demon knows that Father Garris has had this kind of question in his own faith due to the fact that he was not there to help his mother and not be there when she passed and exploits it. And I think it, the movie is just about his emotional and religious journey, just about as Reagan trying to survive this. And I agree that, that he. A lot of his like a lot of his best moments are just from his um his posture and how his face would tell the story. And not saying like he's terrible at dialogue or anything like that, he's fantastic, but like the only really big like emotional moments is like when he's getting drunk in his room after his mother's passed with Father Dyer and he's just like like I should have been there and he has that guilt that I just, like I, a lot of people whose whose parents pass away in a rather suddenly and you feel sort of responsible for it or you like you feel like uh, if i only did x y and z like things would have changed things would have been better and and everything would have been okay and father dyers is like no 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 you're going to bed and you do not need to blame yourself right here that's the last thing that you need and there's you know like it's even it's attacking his subconscious like he's even dreaming that seeing his mother and unable to help her where he has that that moment where he's in like on the streets of new york and he's screaming for his mother's attention and she's yelling out to him and she descends down the flight of stairs into the subway wondering, like, is she going to hell where that Pazuzu kind of says that, like, your mother's with us or anything like that. And then you see the the necklace that uh, Father Marin found in northern Iraq at the early the part of the movie and you wonder, like, something, like, these people are going to collide. And I think, like you're saying, backstories can work but it can also take away from it if if they spend too much time. And I think backstories and like side stories work if they cross paths, like most good movies have an A story and a B story. And like, think of back to the future. A story is getting Marty back to the future. B story is, all right, now I got to get my parents back together so I can exist in the future. And they was eventually crossed near the end of the movie. And it's like, all right, I got to get them back together. Now I'm short on time. Now I have to get back to the future myself. Mm -hmm. And I think that's, that really works in this movie as well. It's it's funny though, because when we first watched the movie, you thought he looked very much like a very young Sylvester Stallone. Then you find out they, that Father Karras used to be a boxer before he became a priest. I'm like, oh, this makes it so much even funnier. And at one point, when it cuts to it cuts away from 
Reagan being possessed to him running laps around the track at Georgetown. And he was like, dun, 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 dun. And I'm like, holy shit, you're right. It's pretty much like Rocky right now. He's in the all gray, you know, sweatpants, sweatshirt, you know, like, you know, when he's mad, you know, about his mother being sick, you know, he's boxing and stuff like that. And, you know, he's just like looking more and more like Stallone. And and then even, even when the detective was like there, you know, and like talking to him, he's like, yeah, you know, you look like a boxer, you know? And it struck me weird because I'm like, Oh man, it's just like I'm thinking Rocky this whole time. He doesn't have the personality like Rocky, you know, it doesn't sound, you know, he's not and he's not as big as Sylvester Stallone was. Yeah. But it's funny because this movie was released in 1973 and Rocky wasn't released until 1976. Yeah. And I was just like I'm it, it's just weird like like you know, you would think, you know, it would be, you know, the other way around, you know, him, you know, it's just I don't know. It, it's a it's very big coincidence, you know. But I just think I think that was funny, just like seeing that and how close related they were together. You know, were you imagining a different version of Rocky with him playing Jason <laughs> Jason Miller playing Stallone's character? Uh, I mean, yes, but I do not think he. You know, the thing about Sylvester Stallone with that, you know, and like I said, we, we now leave The Exorcist with Tim, and, with Tim and Larry to bring you Creed with Tim and Larry. You know, like, how many times are we going to go back and forth between podcasts every time? Well, like, this is my second podcast doing it with you. And, and we, we keep going back to our, like, we're, we did a Creed movie review uh, early uh, in, like, very end of 2015. Check it out if you want to hear our first shenanigan podcast uh, that commenced. But before we go any further, like with that, like before we fall down that rabbit hole, we should continue with The Exorcist. <laughs> um, let's talk about um, Max von Sydow's playing as Father Lancaster Marin, who opens the movie in Northern Iraq. Your feelings on his character in this movie? I mean, when I first saw the movie, um, we were talking about like backstories and stuff like that about you know how they somehow intertwine with each other. I think in the, in the opening, it was like you know a little. It's just him in northern Iraq, you know, discovering all these different um, religious religious um, uh, symbols and, mm-hmm. you know, artifacts and all that stuff and him reacting to what he sees. And when I first saw it, I was like, oh, man, you know, this like, you know, what could be behind these these um, these artifacts that he's like shaking about, you know, and then when they cut to when they cut to. Um, I'm sorry, Regan and her mom, and mm-hmm. you know, it's just like he disappears for the rest of the film, and it's mm-hmm. just like, okay, you know, well, you know, what was all, you know, what was all that about? And then finally, at the end, which you know, he comes back in the picture, it's like, ah, oh, that's the guy from you know the beginning, you know, and like, uh, you know, you would see everything that he was afraid of being portrayed. In when the exorcism was going on, which which you know we'll get into it in a little bit. My favorite scene, you know, in the movies when they first start the exorcism, when he is going back and forth with the demon, and the, uh, his voice is just it's like the power of Christ compels you. I just like oh, uh, it's like it's just like there's so much eight, oomph behind so him, so much oomph, and like this eighty year old man, show, you know, pumping whatever testosterone left he has left in his body, you know, just like getting this demon out of this girl. It's like it's just. Oh, it's amazing. But um, aside from that, it's just um, it was just a little bit confusing when I saw it when I um, when I saw it in the beginning, and I was like, okay, how are they going to interpret this? And when you know she's like on the bed and she's doing that like you know weird little pose, and you see the statue just come in the frame, 
in in the shadows and you see his face like we had you know like his you know his experiences with this you know intertwines with the rest of you know everyone else's so i i really liked his performance i wish i could have seen a little you know a little bit more um you know like because like i said it, it was you know he's in the beginning of the movie and then he's at the end of the movie mm-hmm. and it's just like hmm like you know you wish they cut to I, him a little bit more i wish like like they could have at least at least looked into like that that little cuz that little um it, it, it almost looks like a, like a tiki um like a little tiki head or something like that 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 he, that, that he, finds, that, in that he finds in the desert so he's freaking out about it and he sees a statue then they cut to Georgetown and then they never mention or or show that figure that figurine ever again until when um when um I forget the I forget the guy's name. The, the first guy who was thrown out the window. Uh, oh, uh, uh, the director Bert yeah, the, Dennings when yeah, he was first yeah. when he was murdered. Yeah, when when Dennings was murdered, and the detective came and was looking around the staircase where he was falling down. They saw that figurine again at the bottom of the staircase, but not was, the exact one. It was made from clay. It made we, from clay, and we saw Reagan had been doing arts and crafts, and like even he sees it like in the kitchen. He sees other animals that. That Reagan has made in clay and everything. That's how those things are getting interconnected. Yeah, that's how they're getting interconnected. But it was just, it's just like I wonder why, like, like what, like what, like what was it? What, like, I don't know. These things you think of. It's like what, what, where did it come from? What was believed of it? How did they, you know, get rid? Of, you know, and then towards the end when he finally comes, it's a little, you know, explained a little bit, but. You know, I would like I like to see a little bit of like what that little figurine was all about. You know? But I but his his performance in general, I just you know I I really enjoyed it. Like I said, he was he was part of my favorite scene in the movie, which was the very uh, beginning of the exorcism. And it's funny because the the little amulet that he finds resembles the the demon head Pazuzu before he sees the statue later on while he's during during the dig. So, like, that's, like, the first inclination that Pazuzu's coming back that he has dealt with. And my feelings on Max von Sydow's, like, performance is, I think, much like Jason Mosa, he's very understated. He doesn't, he doesn't play big until, like, the exorcism is going on. He's a very quiet person and a very patient person. And, like, he he plays, and, like, he's... Max von Sydow was, like, in his 40s at this point, and they obviously... Dick Smith, along with Rick Baker, did the makeup and everything to make him look like he's in his 80s. And you've thought this man was really feeble and like this guy's not gonna make it that much longer and he's taking pills for his heart for i think it's like uh nitroglycerin pills and stuff like that to help him with his heart and then you wonder when he's called in to perform the exorcism the exorcism you wonder how is he going to deal with the situation how is he going to survive it just health wise and it's funny that you mentioned that moment when like he like says like i cast you out and then the roof cracks Then they originally built according to Freakin's biography they built six ceilings for that for the multiple takes they wanted to do because they had two cameras running because they had one camera low looking up outside and you had the roof the ceiling in the background and then I presume they had a camera behind him looking straight up for as a as a cutaway shot for it and he's couldn't get to that level six takes didn't didn't like the performance. Said, "All right." They ended the shoot that day, and like, "All right, I want six more built." 
So the crew spent the rest of the day and overnight building six more. The next day, they come back. Six more takes. Not there. And so much so that, like, William Freakin calls up William Peter Blatty just like, we got a problem here. We can't get past the scene because we're shooting in sequence. We cannot go any further. We're stuck. And so he calls up William Peter Blatty, flies out to, to New York because well, they were shooting on stage in Manhattan for these scenes. And they're wondering, like, what the hell do we do here? And they talk to Mox on side and like, why, like, we, you cannot reach level one. What's the problem? Why, why are you stuck? He's like, because I don't believe in this. I do not believe the words I'm saying. I do not believe in God. I do not believe in this religion. That's why I cannot convey the emotion you think. Like, And he's like, but you played like Jesus Christ in other movies and you had such great convictions. that I didn't play him as the son of God. I played him as a man. So William Freakin was just like, just thinking on his feet. Well, don't play it as a super a person with supernatural powers. Play it as a man, just as a man trying to do some good. Late, upon reflection, I was like, "That's the dumbest direction I've ever given." And like Max von Sydow was sitting in his like his little like place that he set up, like his his room. He said, "Give me an hour." So uh, the writer Blatty and Freakin step outside and they're like, "What do we do? We can kill him off now." I can rewrite it and we just have him die here instead of later in the movie if everything doesn't work. Alright, let's go with that. So William Peter Blatty wrote like a like rewrote that scene for him to die then rather than later. Max von Sydow appears and is like, I'm ready to do it. Alright, guys, we're gonna do one more take of this, and that take that he did, the one take that he did, is the one in the movie where he finally brings a strength when he says like and i cast you out and that's when the roof this cracks and that moment that you say is your favorite scene was a, a thing that took him a while to get to and i i'm glad they went through that to get to that moment because i don't think that was the climax of that first ritual otherwise i don't think that scene would have been as powerful no of course not and it amazes me that you pointed that out about him not being like a religious man or anything like that you know of course having that passion to do that you know like because it's it's always it's always an interesting thought of how actors portray certain uh characteristics or certain uh personalities about a certain um a certain person that they're portraying themselves to be so you're telling me that someone who doesn't who doesn't believe in Christ is playing one of the most respected priests in their church. Yeah. You know, it's, it's very, you know, that makes, that makes it even more like, like, wow. Like, you know, he was able, yeah, he was able to put on a performance like that, you know, uh, no matter how many takes it, you know, you know, and how, no matter how many uh, takes it took for it to happen, it was, you know, it finally did happen. And it just makes you appreciate the scene even more because the director was looking one way, he wasn't looking another, and <laughs> and of course you know everyone else who was trying you know make sure you know make all these uh, ceilings was just like oh, you know you know fuck you and all that stuff you know right. what about the door you know like was the door the same issue you know like the I, door I, cracking I, in I, I, I hope not because like how many times it's just like how many doors were broken because, like it's like all right, all right, all right well. Yeah, I got unscrewed this. I'm like, all right, into the trash it goes. All right, you bastard. <laughs> they ran out of this certain door, you know. <laughs> oh, jeez. Oh, um, man. So, yeah, like I say, Mox von Sydow does an incredible performance in this. And moving on to another character, um, what was it? Um, 
Lieutenant uh, William uh, Kinderman, who plays the police detective investigating the murder of uh, Burke Dennings, your feelings on Lee J. Cobb's performance as Officer Kinderman, Detective Kinderman. I love Gene Hackman. I think Gene Hackman <laughs> is a wonderful actor, and I loved him in Superman. I loved him in Hoosiers, and this performance, you know, that he he made in The Exorcist. Just I because think... Lee J. Cobb looks like older Gene Hackman does not mean he is Gene Hackman. <laughs> oh come on, no, you, you got to admit. <laughs> I mean, yes, he does look like Gene Hackman from Runaway Jury and like later, like Enemy of the State. Gene Hackman does not mean he was Gene Hackman. I mean, freaking work with Gene Hackman in The French Connection, the movie he did previous before this. No, but uh, Gene Hackman's long lost twin brother. Um, is, that, is that good enough for you? Yeah, like, okay. Gene Hackman's surrogate father that we didn't know. Uh, okay, I, I guess his uncle, I'll say Gene, Hackman, Gene Hackman's <laughs> uncle. Um he played the role of the detective very well, very snoopy. Um, although he was not very obnoxious, you know, like he no. was like, like throughout the movie when he was trying to, um, trying to, you know, get to the bottom of the murder and asking, uh, asking Reagan's mom about, you know, what happened. Like, did, you know, did he go? Did he go into her bedroom at all? You know, like there's no reason why he has to go in the bedroom. It's like just ask. You know, like he wasn't very obnoxious. He he wasn't like. You know, one of those detectives where, you know, if he has a feeling that... Coming in the air tonight? <laughs> oh, Lord. <laughs> I'm not going to do it. <laughs> I'm just going to sound like Mike Tyson singing that song. <laughs> but, um, no, but even even if he had a thought in his head that that Reagan killed him, he didn't get very, you know, in her face, like, I, you know, I can take your daughter away. I put her away for life, you know, and stuff like that, yada, yada, yada. Like, every instance where he had enough to know that the reason why, you know, why her mother, the director was killed was, you know, he, he had all the clues in front of him, all the evidence that he needed, but still he just didn't want to do it like he 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 was right he knew about it but he it was different you know from all the other you know detectives that you see in recent films yeah like he could have been just been really obnoxious and uh to the point that just like oh just go away we don't want to see you but however every scene he's in you can't take your eyes off him because that's well that's just lee j cobb is just being a great actor even like from the introduction scene where we talk about the desecration that happens in the church earlier in the movie when the Virgin Mary w- was desecrated and then the investigating of the murder and then when he reveals the fact that Denny's head was turned completely 180 degrees around and that's how he's found at the bottom of the stairs and they question like, well, couldn't that have happened in the fall? Maybe, but that have been like a one in a thousand chance, but it seems like he wouldn't have made the stairs if he was just fell out. It, it appears that he was pushed, and that's how he ended up in the, down the flight of stairs. And it's that moment where he ended when he talks to Reagan's mother, and and he's hinting and not throwing around out like uh, accusations or anything like that, but like they was just tiptoeing around this subject, and he like, and she knows exactly what he means, and she wants to keep him as far away from Reagan as possible because that's the le- that's the worst thing that could happen to her is that now she has to deal with legal troubles while her daughter's inexplicably sick, both psychologically or physically. So 
and I love that moment where they're talking about like he likes to go to the movies, but his wife doesn't like to go to the movies because and he's like, I don't want to go by myself. I mean, most people don't like going to the movies by myself by yourself. I mean, I go to the movies by myself because, <laughs> well, because I'm just a sad person. I know this. I'm fully aware of this. Like, like oh, ticket of one, and the, the I get the judgmental look from the person, the cashier, and I'm just like, well, all right, I deserve that. So you go see a film with him. I would go see a film with him. Like, like, like he, 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 like I, I felt for him, you know, because he really wanted to go to movies with somebody, but nobody was like, eh, you know, like go, you know, f off or anything like that, you know. No, like, yeah. <laughs> like, come on, it's all go to the movies with them. He, he's we'll just talk, we'll have a conversation about it afterwards. <laughs> and I made that joke where we're watching. It. I'm like, oh my god, that's me in 50 years. Like, somebody go in the movies with me. I don't want to go by myself. Can somebody just help me? And he's going to see, and he was going to see a movie with star, starring Jackie Gleason and Lucille Ball. And yeah, I'm like, holy hell, you know, like back in the '50s, Lucille Ball and Jackie Gleason being together on the same TV show or a movie, you know, the the whole you know the box office will explode. You know, two <laughs> two of the arguably most popular actors at the time you know yes. now 20 years later i don't know how popular they are anymore you know but you right know. <laughs> but still like just the thought you know it's like wow you know like jackie gleason from the honeymooners and and lucia ball from i love lucy together in a movie it's like wow you know like that that you know what and from in that time that sounds like a hell of a movie i would go see that with you gene hackman's uncle <laughs> <laughs> Wait, I've seen this before. It's a classic. This is when he dresses up like a man from space. What do you mean he's seen it? It's brand new. Well, I saw it on a rerun. What's, What's a rerun? rerun? You'll find out. <laughs> That's another just like another joke amongst uh, my friends. Like, I don't think a single podcast could go by without making a Back to the Future joke. <laughs> That's not a bad thing. No, not, not at all. <laughs> I'm not complaining whatsoever. It's just, uh. it's just a funny thing that happens whenever I, I podcast with somebody. Um, yeah, so Lee J. Cobb does an incredible performance. I love that moment at the end in the the director's cut, the extended cut, I should say, where he has that moment with Father Dwyer talking about what happened and ask him, do you want to go to the movies? And he's like, oh, I've seen it before. And he's like, another one. And he's just like, oh, have you had lunch yet? No? I'm like, all right, well, let's go have lunch. We'll at least have some, I'll have somebody to talk to here. <laughs> And I love that. I mean, I know that's a scene. Well, because in the original cut, we do not see uh, Officer Kinnaman again. And it just ends with Father Dwyer and with the window boarded up. And it kind of ends on a kind of like an ambiguous note or a pessimistic note. That's what freaking wanted. And they would leave the audience up to decide how they feel that is the world a dark and evil place or is there good inherently around us? And it leaves it up to the audience. This version, which Blatty wanted leaves it more that's a little bit a friendlier and it ends on a happier note rather than just the it ends and that's it which I kind of like the happy note because you've gone through this such ordeal I think a moment like that at the end is needed kind of like the end of Jaws they have that moment where Roy Scheider and Richard Drivers are paddling back to uh, shore and they're like like, uh, what day is it? Uh, it's Tuesday. Uh, it's Wednesday. I think the tide's with us. I used to hate the water. <laughs> I can't imagine why. <laughs> it's like that one little joke at the end that is really just kind of released attention for it. And I think that works. And I think that kind of works for this movie as well. I bid you farewell oh, to the fair Spanish, Spanish lady. lady. I bid you farewell to the ladies of Spain. <laughs> <laughs> Show me the way to go home. 
I'm tired. I want to go to bed. I had a little drink about an hour ago, and I got right to my head. I'm not. Play- I'm not continuing that song. <laughs> no. Uh, no, but you were saying um, you can look at it both ways, uh, both the theatrical and and the director's cut end about how each each ending and how it it impacts you. That's why this movie is so controversial. You're gonna have to you're gonna have to um, you're gonna have to rewind a little bit before him walking away on the staircase and him walking away with the lieutenant saying, "Okay, this just happened. This whole entire thing with." Reagan and 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 um you know the you know her being possessed you know this whole thing happened and now it's over you know for for now mm-hmm. as far you know as far as we know as as the audience so now now at the end her mother every you know Reagan they're leaving you know they 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 had the epiphany now that they're allowing religion into their life. Mm-hmm. Yeah, as we as we expressed earlier in the early, in the beginning of the movie, she she never made it like blatantly known that you know there was no religion not in my life, not until the cross was put underneath her bed. You know, but she she you know established that it's not a religious household. Well, now after an experience like this, they're allowing a little you know they're allowing well, a little bit they're allowing religion into their life. You know, because now you know they greet Father Dyer and you know they you know then they drive off. Now they have, you know, a new, a new viewpoint on life. This is where the movie gets controversial, you know, because you have those religious nuts, you know, nuts. I, <laughs> excuse me for that. Relig- re- very religious people out there, you know, that think, oh, it should, you know, should have always been like that. And, you know, and people who are not so religious, you know, you know, they, they voice their opinions about it. And the original theatrical cover, just like him walk away, it leaves people thinking. You know, you know, and, and you know, as the old as the old saying goes, you always want the audience. You always leave the audience wanting more. Yeah. And that theatrical cut, like you said, the director wanted in the first place. That was good. He left them wanting more. Left them thinking, saying, "Okay, now what happens?" But I mean, don't even think about the sequel. Oh. What you know? What happens now? You know, like and now they now they allowed religion into their life. Are they going to lead you know a happier life? Or you know, are things going to change for them? They had the epiphany. Now you know they now their whole you know the way that they think is has changed, and you know it's you know that's that's why it causes discussions like like the one you and I are having, and then. You know, it, it brings in hope and happy. You know, and in some way, it brings happiness in people. But you know, in another way, it's it's a very. Um, when I first saw it for the first time, when you know, when uh, Mil- when when Miller gets thrown out the window, I was just like, <gasps> you know, my favorite character in the movie. You know, he's you know now he's down at the end of the staircase and just like oh you know oh no you know and now now. It, it, it's you know where do you go from here? Whereas you know in the director's cut, it's a happy go you know happy moment you know where they're walking off, but it's like hey you know it's there's still this happened, and it freaked everybody out, and not only are the people in the movie think about how they're gonna live the rest of their lives, but how about the people in the audience? Mm-hmm. You know how they're gonna live the rest of their lives. So I'll tell you I'll tell you about this. Another reason why. You know, call you know, call me what you want, but the reason why I really haven't watched The Exorcist until now was that, like, you know, I I, I watch you know my fair share of horror films. I can handle ma- I can handle many things. 
I can handle gore. I can handle blood. I can handle all those, you know, very famous slasher horror films, you know, like stuff like that. Like I, you know, I enjoy the Jason movies, the Freddy Krueger, you know, you know, all that stuff. You know, and there's some horror films out there that I deem silly, but really what drew, what pushed me away, and it's not just The Exorcist, it's others, but really pushed me away from the horror film scene was demons. Mm. You know, because because demons, you know that 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 is all entirely true. You know that I mean, you know, this, you know that could that could happen. You know, to, some believe that that could really happen. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, others may think otherwise. To me personally, and I don't really like I, I don't really like you know talking about religion that much. Uh, but to me, I, 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 it's, it's one hundred and ten percent real, mm. and it makes me, you know, like, oh, you know, can, you know, this happened to me, you know, like that. That's what driven me away from this movie and others for years, you know, like, you know, the slasher flicks, you know, like, you know, so, you know, the, the, some of them were like silly, you know, like the Halloween, you know, although that could be true, some of it was, you know, a little silly, even though it's a, even though it's a fantastic movie. Mm. This was like this hit me. You know, I'm like, you know, this is real. You know, this could happen happen to anybody in mm. my opinion right and it's like okay now there's the ending of the movie when father Karras throws himself out the window how did you interpret it as did you interpret it as self-sacrifice or do you think the demon threw him out the window when you first saw it what did you think First, at the beginning, I thought it was self-sacrifice, and then when I saw, I saw the demon transition from, you know, Reagan into him. I think it was the demon taking over, and him. In a in a nutshell, it was probably I'd say both, mm-hmm. because he's like, "Take me, take me!" Rip the chain off and throw himself out the window. I, I think I think you know. Now that I think about it more, it's more of a sacrifice because you know the demon very well could have, you know, killed him just right on the spot, you mm-hmm. know. But him, you know, saying "Take me," you know, like I think it was a sacrifice on his end, and you even see at the end, it's like you know, very very upsetting. Another you know, another second most upsetting scene. You know, like you see his hand, you know, fingers move. After him being on the bottom of the steps, and it's just and like Father God. asking, asking like, "Do you want to confess your sins?" And it's obviously like he's squeezing his hand, so he's obviously saying, like, or it's being interpreted that he's saying yes. The reason why I bring that up is because that's one of the things that Freakin and Blatty like argued about, saying that Freakin kind of didn't convey that well enough, and it kind of left people thinking that it was the demon who threw Karis's body out the window rather than Karis choosing to commit suicide to save Reagan from the demon. Now I like I always saw it as self sacrifice because like he like he screams no when he tries to like go back towards her and he lunges himself out the window and then when he has that moment with Fardyer saying like do you want to confess your sins and then he gives him reads him the last rites, those the last few moments while he's there on the bottom of the stairs and it's just well, there's another moment in the movie that where it kind of like leaves this sort of ambiguous to people's interpretation, which is a great thing for movies. I think that's a great, that's a fantastic thing about movies because they're very subjective from person to person. I mean, how, like we've taken film classes before where you, we, you show movies as 20 different people and you're going to get variations of interpretations of it. I mean, like when, how many, like you can write, so many different interpretations of movies, like how many papers like did you write that you think it was one way and then 
according to the teacher's perception, like, no, it's more about this. But I mean, what was it? Uh, oh, man, I think I'm, I'm blanking on her name. The professor, uh, Amy, Amy, uh, Amy Shore, like she would never like discredit a theory as long as you had evidence to back it up, if I'm not mistaken. Mm-hmm. And so that's like this is a, a movie that you probably could have like written a paper on. I wish I kind of did now thinking about it. About the Exorcist? Yeah. Oh, I feel I, like I, you have a ball I, with that. Oh, yeah. I mean, like hell, I I wrote a ten page paper. <laughs> I wrote a ten page paper on slasher movies. Mm. The morning of it was due, by the way. Mm. Still got an A. Ooh. Somehow. Uh, uh, yeah, I was surprised that it was, I think it's the highest grade in that class mm. I, I, from paper and like that was my, I got an A in that class overall. But I remember because I said, like, the best slasher moments are actually empowering to women. And that, that, like, you look at Halloween and Friday the 13th, the two movies that are the benchmarks of slasher movies. Like, Jamie Lee Curtis, she gets stoned in that movie. And, like, that's supposed to be against the rules of the slasher movie. And she shows interest in another guy, but she still lives. And you look at Alice in Friday the 13th, like, where she gets stoned, she drinks, and you know she's had sex with the guy who's running the camp. And she still lives and stuff like that. It's only like later when they say like, "Oh, you have to be pure of heart and everything, and pure of something else to uh, survive a slash movie." Anyway, <laughs> now going back to imagine you're 1973 and you see this movie for the first time, groovy, <laughs> and there was a lot of controversy around it. Do you think it's 100% warranted? Do you think that, like this movie deserves the controversy it got? Um, I would believe, I would believe so. Um, because, and and not in a negative sense, because like we're not damning the movie. Or no, of course like not. Another pun intended. <laughs> I got that. <laughs> anyway, um, no, the controversy that it got because it's a. It's a um, it's a groundbreaker, you know. It's a, it's a groundbreaking movie, whether you like, you know, whether how, however you like it or not. It's the first of its kind. It's you know, it, it's like it's like back in the day, you know, when you know the zombie, you know, the zombies came about, you know, like you know. Hold on, hold on, on to my thought, because you can't, because you can't um, look at it as you know, today's movie standards. Cause if you're going into this movie, like I said before with, with today's movie standards, you're going to be very disappointed it, whether you like it or not, you know, you, and you can't, you know, but I think the controversy that it, it, it got was very, was very justified. Cause like I said, it was a groundbreaking film, had a lot of, had a lot to do with religion, which, you know, still to this day, religion is a very sensitive topic, yes. you know, no matter how, look, how you look at it. Um, yeah, very very sensitive, and you know a lot was going on. A lot was very you know very uh, very powerful stuff. Like we were saying about the disturbing, you know the disturbing scene where you know like she's taking the crucifix and you know you know blood you know stabbing herself, masturbating herself, blood everywhere, and you know that very controversial. You know there's yeah. you know you would what you know like you, you even today you, like people probably are still just aghast by it. It's yeah, you like like that seeing that and you know like I said in my opinion that was and 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 like I said I'm not bashing the scene at all because it it worked it worked great with the movie but to me you know just watching that very disturbing right you know, like even for today's standards you know from you know basically in horror films from then to now we've seen everything but if you see 
you know, you, you don't you, that that scene is very like it's very what's the word I'm looking for? There's you know, there's not a lot of that, you know, like it's very right. you know, it's still very clean, so to say, in the minds of, you know, the people that are watching. It's like you've never seen something like that before. Mm-hmm. And it's like, oh man, they really went there, did they? You know, like that that but that's powerful, you know, that's you know, it, it, it you know, firmly grasps you and saying, you know, this is don't do it, don't do it. Uh, it firmly, it's like it's like, hey, you know, like this, you know, like you, you know, we're gonna make an impact with this one, you know, because I mean, especially when it comes to true stories like this, you know, based on true stories, you're never gonna get like the grasp of the crowd or the audience without that, like, without that one extra step mm-hmm. of like, it's like, oh shit, you know, what are we, you know, the the twist into the head. Uh, your mother, you know, the mother sucks cocks in hell and all that, you know, and then, then the 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 step by step of trying to get rid of, you know, like you know people, you know, very don't know about don't know much about demon possession, like what she had to go through, and what before it was released from her body, very very disturbing in a way, but I think it sent a powerful message that you know I think. You know the controversy that it got, I think was you know very fair. Um, I don't know like much about the controversy. Like if you talk about controversy, saying like it's horrible, like no one should see it. No, not at all. Because mm-hmm. I, I, you know, as as graphic as it is, I suggest somebody you know watch it if you know, they're really like they're really like into like what could possibly happen. Mm-hmm. You know, in a situation like this. You know, but you never know what could happen in a situation like no. that. This is like, like this is the first of them. So this is their interpretation of what could happen because the supernatural, very unpredictable. Of course, you know, and and as you saw in this film, anything can happen. Right, and there's, and like the, like I think like the one the the, the reason why his movie is so powerful, like goes to the movie he did previous, which is the French Connection, which is a police procedural in New York. And we get to see how two detectives build a case and go step by step of like following criminals, learning about their their schedules and everything and how they do everything and find out piece by piece. And it slowly builds into the climax of the movie. And I think the reason why this movie is so powerful is because it takes that kind of approach when it comes to this, where we see the slow descent of how we are perceived that like, oh, it's just like nerves or she needs to be prescribed Ritalin and then eventually when they're doing their arteriogram and like doing all these kinds of um, medical procedures trying to find out what exactly is going on I think it's because of those moments that we buy into the fact that we accept an exorcism in the last act of the movie because if it's like things start going wrong like alright we need a possession like people have been like whoa 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 you're jumping to conclusions right there I think that's a bit much and like I said, I think that scene with the arteriogram, I think that's the most disturbing scene in the movie. Like I couldn't watch that that scene when they're like they're sticking like 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 the stuff into her throat and then it's like slowly spurting out. You're like, oh, and I can deal with blood and everything. Like like the hostile movies, like taking drills to your kneecaps and like Achilles tendons being snipped and all. Like I was like, ooh, that hurts. But this, for some reason, that maybe it's because the, like it has a, kind of like a documentary feel to it, as well as having the real doctors performing that like obviously on a prosthetic attached to Linda Blair 
for some reason just the felt like the genuine article and you just got incredibly uncomfortable by it. And they got, that's scarier than seeing your head go 360 degrees around. Because it's all too real, you know, because like, like you're saying with the hostile, you know, the, the, the drill to the kneecap and all that stuff and, you know, the head turning, you know, uh, 360, 180 all around, you know, whatever, the num- you know, whatever, you know, you want to twist it. You know, again, that, you know, into your throat, you know, that, that could, you know, that's entirely too real. Yeah. You, could, you know, I mean, I've had IVs put in me before, you know, and I still, you know, like... I remember last time I had an IV put in me. They had a trainee put in it for oh, me. You know, I was, I was like, you get, you know, I'm like, you get that, you know, away from me. You get that trainee away from me. I want a doctor putting this, you know, because I've heard the stories, you know, and it's, you know, that that that's when that's when it hits close to home, you know, and say, you know, that's why it's so disturbing, you know, disturbing to you. And you know, it's like you said, you can deal with blood, but you like it, when you're watching it, it's like, oh, you can feel, it's like you, you know, you feel the veins in your your neck. It's just like. Oh. You know, like, <laughs> um, with other modern horror movies come out since in the wake of this and other exorcism movies come out, has, do you think there's been, has it been topped? How do you think this movie is now kind of archaic in comparison? Or do you still think this is the granddaddy of them all? I think with horror films, especially... Like you, you can never beat the original, and, no. and and you you know of all you know like with when either when it comes to sequels, prequels, um, you know, uh, movies taken from this idea and extended, or you know just reboots. Yeah, it's never you know like when you first watch a movie like this, or any other horror films that I've I've tend to notice like you know I. I like I said, I've watched my fair share of horror films, but just it's just you can't beat the classics. Like there's some, there's some you know comedies, you know whatever that can get topped off. There are some action movies, you know, like very you know that's very fifty fifty. You know, it's either very great, better than the original, or it just completely sucks compared to the original. Right. With horror and with what I see with a lot of horror fans is that they do not like when you tamper with, you know, the idea of like an original piece, like all, like you say that before that the, the, the sequel to the exorcist was complete garbage. Mm -hmm. The third one was better than the second, but nowhere near close to the first one. Exorcism of of Emily Rose has nothing to do with this exorcist, but you say, you know, it has its moments, but you're really going to get in debate of whether, you know, Hey, Exorcism of Emily Rose is better than The Exorcist. You know, are you really going to get into that discussion? Because there's probably some asshole out there who probably to deal with that. But I mean, like, that's like saying that the movie's better than the book. You know, yeah. like like you know, like film adaptations from books. You know, you get you know, like you're never gonna. They're, they're attempted. I just think like when it comes to horror films, especially, you can't beat the classics, no matter how. You can throw, you know, you can compare 2016 to 1973 all you want as as far as special effects and, and um, you know, how the film industry has evolved from that point. But that's not what horror uh, – you and I had this discussion about, you know, about, like, the casting of of horror films. It's not about, like, all, like, that, you know, flashy nonsense and about, oh, how, like – 
how realistic can we make this beheading look or something like that? You know, it, it could be a bloody masterpiece. I mean, like apparently, like I heard they're making another um, Friday the 13th movie. And although it may be an excellent film or maybe a dud, who knows, but you can see it and be like, hey, you know, that was a good thing. But it doesn't beat the classic. It doesn't no. beat the original. But I, 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 like the attempts are there. But I don't think movies I mean, like, with, with the demon with demons at least. I mean, I think a close second. If I can, if I can really point out a close second, and I haven't seen this movie, but I've heard enough about it that I think a close second, and it's a modern film, like close to this day and age, that comes to dealing with demons and in compare with the exorcist i gotta say insidious yeah and you've seen it i've never seen it but it's very it's very rare now i've like i said with the modern film with modern horror films a lot of the horror films that have come out from you know like i'm gonna i'll go back as the two i'll go back as the beginning of the 2000s till now very rare when you hear somebody say that a horror film release was really good, scared the shit out of you. And, and like, there are some out there, you know, that really like grasp an audience. Like, like I just said, insidious, the Hills of eyes, you know, that, that really scared a lot of people and mm. really just like, in you know, um, what, what a house of a thousand corpses, the devil's rejects, you know, that, that really like, those are good horror films, and I've never seen any of them. And I'm sorry, like for anyone who's just listened to this scene, like, oh, this guy's. Well, they, well if if they were going to turn off, they probably would have turned off. They probably, now, you know, but... I mean, the second they heard me on the mic, they'd be like, oh, this asshole. <laughs> but no, like, no, but seriously, you know, like, you know, even though I don't, you know, haven't watched those films or watched, you know, I still follow up on like what people think, and you know, I and I, I analyze a lot of what they're about. And I, you know, I, I tend to notice these things a lot when it comes to horror films because they try, because, you know, they try too much sometimes. We were having this conversation about like, you know, with, you know, like, like you see in, in action, in action movies, they really want to draw an audience with, okay, all right, starring Sylvester Stallone and Bruce Willis and, you know, all, you know, all the greatest action, you know, all in one is like, oh my God, look at this cast. Or in, you know, in comedy, it's like, oh, Kevin Hart is starring in this with Seth Rogen and Paul Rudd, you know, and it's, you know, strap, you know, this is going to be hysterical. But you never see that with horror, you know, it, it, it's, you never, they don't try to reach out like that because they know it's just going to, it's going to be a failure, you mm -hmm. know, if they really try, they'll waste all this money for nothing. Mm -hmm. So I think when it comes to demons and the exorcist, I think, and you want to make that point. I'll make it. I'll let you make your point. I think the close second, arguably, is Insidious. And it's funny because James Wan, who got his big break with the movie Saw, he he did Insidious as well as he did The Conjuring after Insidious. Now, both Insidious and The Conjuring deal with possessed people, and there is an exorcism in The Conjuring, but the the backbone of that movie is just the family dynamic dealing with this, and then. Like the the family that's afflicted with this possession, as well as the Warrens dealing with their investigation and wondering how long can we do this? How long can this go on without like it it biting or biting ourselves in the ass? And the same thing with Insidious. Insidious is obviously something that came out of the wake of the Exorcist, but like they went in a completely different direction. Like they get into astral projection at one point in the third, and then like 
eventually time travel in Insidious 2, but you buy it because it sets it up perfectly in the first one, and that's a really spooky movie, and it's still scary. And, like, I mean, like, hell, the first Conjuring, I saw it uh, in theater, and, like, I saw it, like, a few times on, uh, on home video, and then one night I'm here by myself, and it's on. I'm like, oh, okay, I'll put, I'll put the movie on. And, like, I was, just, I was looking at Amazon for the poster, and, like, the poster of it is, like, the house that the the possession takes or the incident takes place and the foreground has a tree and on the ground has the shadow of the witch that was hanged years prior just there but she's like her outlines like just the outline on the grass you don't see her hanging from the tree and i'm like oh i'll just put that right next to my bed and i'm watching the movie and i'm like i'm the only one in this house and this house creaks this is it's kind of old and i'm like i'm gonna turn this off right now because i'm creeping myself out and i'm like i'm not buying that poster putting next to my i'm just inviting bad juju at that point into my house if i want to do that and i get the ouija board and just you know yeah like (laughs) to make it a a goddamn trifecta at that point and just invite (laughs) as much bad things into my life as possible and going back to what you're saying about remakes there's only like two like you can argue the various draculas over the years whether, like, obviously being Bela Lugosi being the original, and then you had Christopher Lee, and then you had Frank Langella, et cetera, et cetera. Then you had the Nosferatu remake in the 70s with uh, Klaus Kinski as uh, Nosferatu, or I should say Count Orlok. Orlok. But, but there's two remakes that people prefer, most people prefer the original when it comes to horror. John Carpenter's The Thing, okay. and David Cronenberg's The Fly. Because they're both remakes of 50s movies, and both those movies work in the confines of the 50s and they both work and they still work today however updating them for a modern time where you're not as restricted when because they those two 50s movies were released past the hate like during like the haze code had already been passed so it was very strict to get movies made like if you look at horror movies from like 1931 until the haze code like there's um what was it i think it's the black cat with bela lugosi and uh boris karloff i mean they're talking about like like uh necrophilia i mean like boris carl gets skinned at the end you don't see it like you see like like in shadow of like bela goes like bringing like a scalpel to him at oops, sorry as i hit you mike and Be- and boris carl is being like skinned and alive and you're like this is 19 like 35 36 you're 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 seeing this and then Hayes code comes out everything gets very restrictive and then you see the movies like that reflect that, especially in the fifties, where it's like a lot of space alien, like a lot of aliens and nuclear um, radiation affecting like giant bugs and everything like that. But then you go to the eighties, where the MPAA is in place and like you have free reign as well as special effects have come a long way. That's why in the thing, like you can put a defibrillator to a guy's chest and the chest would open and then close down the person's hands, cutting them off, and then alien comes popping out of it like with all weird tentacles <laughs> and then you see in the fly of jeff goldblum slowly devolve into a fly and and just slowly fall apart like nails coming off and he's just the skin is eroding off of him and everything like that those are like two remakes that really stand out to me now your favorite scene in the movie Definitely, like I said, the the beginning of the Exorcist and the exorcism, and not only not only um like oh um I, I my, my his name is drawing a blank right now to me um Max von Sydow yes 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 he, he, even his like powerful performance like during the exorcism itself like even them them like prepping 
for the exorcism like would like sense chills it's like you know this is the climax of the movie this is where this is where everyone in the audience is waiting to see you know it, and, and when i first saw the exorcism i was i was sitting there you know it was like mm, this is a fair, you know it's a fairly not long movie you know because long movies to me are like two you know or three hour long movies or more than that two and a half hour film and stuff like that but when the exorcism is finally you know is finally about to be performed you're like sitting at the edge of your seat it's like oh man this is what we've been waiting for the whole time you know Re- uh, regan has been taken over fully mm-hmm. you know they brought the priest in that we saw in the beginning of the movie you know miller miller he's still you know he's he's about to go into he's about to go into uh something he's never done before in his life something that he's never really even heard of until like you know until it was brought up to him and it's just like you know from that until they you know until the you know up until the second uh attempt to you know to perform the exorcism it was just like that was like that you know the climax in the movie just everything you know her like you know the demon rejecting you know at the very you know very beginning is like you know fuck me you on know, fuck this and you know, all that stuff and and you know the holy water being thrown and the you know just you know, I felt it the whole time. I was like, yeah, this is, this is good. I like this. <laughs> um, I think my favorite scene is probably, it, it may be the prologue in, in Northern Iraq where it just builds the mood. And it's funny that you bring that up is because so many, like a lot of people question having that Northern Iraq scene in the movie because it's like nothing happens in there. Like, like it's just like we just see him walk around and see a statue. It should be cut. Now, William Friedkin went to Bernard Herrmann, the famous film composer who did Citizen Kane, Vertigo, and Psycho. And like, he was Hitchcock's guy. Like, he did Taxi Driver. Like, so many movies, classic movie themes. A lot of them came from Bernard Herrmann. And even he questioned the fact of, like, why do you even have this in here? It's not necessary. It's <laughs> bullshit. And his ideas of the score, and William Friedkin's like, no, that's stupid and cliche. And he said, fuck this, I'm out of here. And, and, didn't, and didn't have him score the movie. And there's a whole story about trying to get uh, another composer that he was friends with, Lalo Schiffen, who did, like, the theme to the Mission Impossible TV series in the 60s and, like, Bullet and Dirty Harry. And <laughs> they, and Freakin's like, I want a very minimalistic, minimalistic score, just very atmospheric, and, like, shows up the recording session. There's 80 musicians there. And it's just big, raucous sound and everything like that. And Freakin's like, that's not what I want. I'm going to have to let you go. And it kind of ended their friendship. Wow. And like, and then like the, the producer's like, we, all right, we can end the sessions, but we paid them for these three days. So they're still getting paid, even though they're going to have nothing to do with this movie. <laughs> and people, apparently people have found the files or like audio tapes of that original score and put them up on YouTube. I, I recommend people checking them out because it's, Was it good? It, it's, it's busy. Busy? It's just like there's a lot of... Doesn't work with... I don't think so. No. I, I, think, I think it really combats what the story was trying to do. And, and you know, it, it, that's, that's when, like I said, with other... And it's not just horror movies. It's other movies. That's when little things like that, it starts falling off the charts. You know, like you can get that big score that... You know, that everybody is hoping for. But, you know, the best way sometimes is just to keep it simple. Look, Especially in the beginning when, you know, you hear the, you know, the piano, you know, or whatever. Like, piano. See, like tubular bells. Tubular bells, in. yeah, in the beginning. 
simple. You don't need to hire 80 different musicians to, you know, play that, that, that alone, I think, you know, to me that even though it sounded like a stereo, you know, it sounds like a stereotypical seventies, eighties horror film sound. It worked and it was simple. And keep it like that. And like you think of that, or you think of bum, bum, dun, 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 and Jaws, very simple, two notes, mm. and you and you identify, it and you're already spooked out, or uh, Halloween, like do 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 do, and just like very like keep it simple, stupid, like something like hummable, or you don't need to go big, like you think of like going back to Back to the Future, like Robert Zemeckis went to Alan Silvestri, the composers, like I don't have a big movie. I don't have that many effects shots, but I need this movie to feel big. So they created a big John William S. score for that movie, and it helped. And like you watch, you watch the end to Back to the Future, and it still works fine. But like try watching that end when he's racing to the clock tower without the music. Yeah, it, you lose like fifty percent of that power of that scene. Yeah, it's 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 stuff like that where it really like that really drags you in and sometimes i've seen films where they don't like i sit there i'm like hmm, maybe they should add some music to that and then when they add some music it's just like eh, it doesn't really work for me but it really depends on what's going on and you know either you keep it simple or you know go big you know that's where the director also you know little things like that that's where it like that's what draws you into the scene mm-hmm. is you know the simple you know and not even just the score, the writing, you know, the writing is too cheesy. You're not going to take the movie seriously. You know, like maybe you throw like one or two in there, but like you really got to like keep on track of what's going on. You know, mm-hmm. like you really want to write a good script, you know, don't overdo it. That's the problem with some, you know, and that's, that, that's another thing with some horror films, modern horror films, remakes, reboots and stuff like that. They try to overdo it. Now when you were talking about the thing with John Carpenter, love that movie Mm -hmm. you know that's that's where the alaskan flamethrowers were born you know and i'm i'll get you know i'll you you none of you probably know what that is you know but i still got to interview you for oswego yeah yeah, i gotta do a wizard of oz episode i gotta do that which we'll do very soon i promise you that yeah and you know but like that movie and i you've told me so much about john carpenter about how much of a perfectionist he is you know when it comes to his um he was the perfectionist, right? Or, no, uh, Stanley Kubrick. He was the Stanley movie. Kubrick. Okay, I mean that—that's like you look at like one scene, in Shining, and it's like when Jack Nicholson's like approaching uh, Shelley Duvall, and she's like backing away with the baseball bat, like 127 takes yeah. of like her performance. You know, like like whoa, like what, why? Well, I would anybody go to that length to do that? I mean, like it's obvious that. Her performance stands the test of time, but like at what cost? At what cost? Exactly. You know that's and that's and that's the thing when you take you take when you're remaking certain movies when you're remaking the thing. You know you're taking a risk itself right away. Mm-hmm. No matter how famous the movie was, like uh, back in the you know back in the day, you're taking a calculated risk already. You're remaking a movie. So not only are you trying to make it look good, you're gonna, you know, you also there's have already to, expectation there. There's already the expectation there, you know, like even with the King Kong movies and stuff like that, you know, uh, you know the fir- you know the first one for its time, okay, you know, it was good for what it was, mm-hmm. you know, the remake, okay as well, 
yeah. the 2005 release, absolute garbage. <laughs> you know, I mean, I mean, it's just to see, you know, that and that and that's when that's because they overdid it. You know, with the CGI and nonsense, and I'll defend, I'll fight anybody, I'll argue anybody to the death of how you know the freaking King, you know King Kong fighting those T Rexes with. You know the woman in her in his hand the whole entire time. How did she not die from that? It's complete bullshit. You know, and I'll and I'll you know I'll argue anybody to the death about that. But that's you know King Kong that... uh, 2005 review coming soon. <laughs> <laughs> oh God, uh, can we have, you know can we have alcohol at this? At we'll this watch morning? the extended cut. Oh no! 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 I don't want to play anymore. I don't want to play. I want to go home. <laughs> no. <laughs> But no, that that's that's an example of like how you know people overdo it, and you know you're taking the calculated risk like that. And John Carpenter with the thing, marvelous. You know? Yeah. Like, I, I, for what was that? What was that? Seventy seventy eight, seventy nine. No, that's eighty oh, two. Eighty two. Which it's always astounding to me, like how the situation happened. So it was made by Universal, mm-hmm. released in June of nineteen, like late June nineteen eighty two. Now. Universal had another alien movie going on at the same time, and they didn't have faith in it. Like it was, it was half the budget of the thing, at like ten million. <clears throat> and they're like, "All right, if it does business, does business." Like we'll open it two weeks ahead of the thing. The thing is the one we are really banking on. Guess what that movie was? Alien. No, E.T. Mm. Now, you have a movie about a very nice and happy alien that helps a family out versus an alien virus that tears men apart. Which one do you think made more money? The happy... uh... Yeah, it's one of the biggest blunders. I think one of the biggest blunders in Universal history in my eyes. And it's like, like, all right, you had two weeks of... And like you already guaranteed that you are going to be releasing it. You figured... With the money that E.T. made in those two weeks, you could have ate the cost of the Prince of Advertisement and pushed the thing back to October <laughs> or like a fall release and still would have made money for it. It's just... Those are like, we want more! More aliens! <laughs> like, it'll be fantastic! It's a thing I covered on another podcast episode I did where me and my friend Richard from the UK, we talked about nostalgia and movies in the 80s. We go into more in-depth about that, so I should you check that out. Um, final thoughts on the exorcist. I think for the piece that it is and for the time that it came out, I think it's, it's an all around classic in itself. Um, like, like I stated before, if you're going to see the exorcist, please keep an open mind about it because I stated, I'll say it before I'll say it again. And it's not just with the exorcist. It's with every movie. Don't, view it as you know from today's standards view it as an art form for uh, you know for the times that it came out i i really enjoyed it it didn't like even like you know seeing the you know the the you know the makeup in the movie and stuff like that even you know it looked like typical 1970s horror it still looked good it still looked believable it mm-hmm. still worked out you know and i i highly recommend it to anyone who's never seen it before and i understand now if you know i understand who back in the day when i told them i never saw the exorcist they'd be you know like falling back in the chest like what you know, mm-hmm. i you know i understand now 
And the, um, yeah, I definitely say, especially when with Halloween coming up, it is the kind of movie like you turn off your phone, you turn off your lights, you get somebody to watch it with you, and like you get some popcorn and watch that, and just watch what the terror that started back in 1973, and it's a terror that's still going on today that people are still talking about, like us, mm-hmm. because it's left that bigger effect. It's it will stand the test of time. Movie like just like. Frankenstein or Dracula or the Invisible Man or Alien or Jaws. It will... Or Texas Chainsaw Massacre or whatever. It will, it, it will stand the test of time and it's definitely movie check. And then on Blu-ray, like if you have a Blu-ray player, like definitely because it looks gorgeous in the format of it. And like it's not the most pristine movie in the world. Like there is definitely moments where it's... The film stock is very like... Because they're like doing a very low light, so you see a lot of uh, film grain, especially when um, Father Karras goes to see his mother in New York, and like it's just like the one light illuminating the apartment when she's asleep, and you can tell like around the corner, the borders of the frame, it's like very grainy, but it adds to the atmosphere of this movie, and it def- and especially the opening in Northern Iraq, I think the colors of it is just gorgeous. Definitely check it out in that format. Now, Larry, if you want the, the want these people who have listened to this episode and they've made this far to follow you on social media where can they find you if you're going to follow me on twitter and uh you know just be warned um <laughs> my <laughs> my handle is at larry underscore bergen 13 that's my twitter handle um i have uh i'm gonna be launching a youtube channel sometime uh within the next couple months i have an idea in the uh in my in my uh, head about what i want but uh, there'll be more details to come about that. So, uh, yeah, Larry underscore Bergen, B-E-R-G-I-N 13. And if you want to follow me on Twitter, you can follow me at Timothy Rooney 2, my Instagram at trooney1012, and follow my YouTube page and Facebook page, both under Through the Lens Productions, where on my YouTube page I am doing vlogs and like videos about movies and comics and stuff like that. Most recent one talking about Graham Morrison's Doom Patrol, as well as my uh, short film I did last month called Deleted. And in the meantime, we have another movie called Dead Love, which Larry acted in, thankfully. <laughs> oh, God. That should be coming out soon. That should be coming out at the beginning of October. And Ooh. and I have another. I have two things I want to shoot in October, one small, one very big in, in terms of my Diggity. career. <laughs> and you'll be hearing more about that as the months go on, or as the month goes on. Now, Larry, thank you so much for being a part of this episode. You're very welcome, Timothy. (laughs) (laughs) I hope everybody's enjoyed this podcast review of The Exorcist, and we'll talk to you soon. Ah, snitch. (laughs) Do (laughs) ah, (laughs) snitch. I am recording, by the way. (laughs) Nice. Outtakes from The Exorcist. (laughs) (laughs) Don't ask how we got that in there. (laughs) Do (laughs) ah, Do host, Nish. <laughs> All right, you ready? Right?